There are two kinds of people in this world. There are people that know exactly what they need, and there are people that are oblivious to what they need. Which one are you? Because the answer to that question has implications. If you know exactly what you need, then the fulfillment to that need could be sitting right in front of you, and you would know it. So you'd grab it, and you'd hold on to it for dear life. But if you had no idea what you needed, if you didn't recognize your own need, then the fulfillment to that need could be sitting right in front of you, and you'd never know it. That's what's happening in our story for this morning. This lawyer, this expert of the law, was sitting in front of the one that he needed. He was sitting and listening to Jesus in the synagogue when this story takes place. Follow along with, uh, with me. The text is printed on page 8 and on the screen. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, they were doing this all of the time to Jesus. They were coming up and asking him questions, except they weren't genuine questions. They weren't genuinely wondering what the answer was to that question. They were trying to test Jesus. And throughout the Gospels, this happens. And Jesus, sometimes he doesn't even answer the question And sometimes he does. In this story, he will answer the question. But but Jesus isn't so concerned with what the answer to that question is. Jesus is concerned about this man's soul. And so what you're going to see here this morning is Jesus leading this man for the sake of his soul. Because this guy was lost. And you can tell it from the very first question. He says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Does the contradiction jump out at you? (laughs) Well, let me explain then. (laughs) Must I do and inherit? They don't go together. What's the nature of an inheritance? An inheritance is something you get for being a part of a family, right? You don't don't choose your family. You don't choose to be born, just like Levi didn't choose to be born. But you receive that inheritance because you are a part of that family and you receive it as a gift. You didn't earn it. So you're starting to see already that this man, he doesn't understand inheritance. He doesn't understand what a kingdom of grace looks like. In fact, he's kind of on the other end of the spectrum. He thinks of a kingdom of legalism. He thinks of God in a legalistic way. 
when people have a legalistic view of God, they tend to look at the law to promise them things, to give them things. But here's the thing. The law has never promised to give you anything. Here's the point of the law. God gave you the law to show you your sin and to show you your deep needs so that you aren't oblivious to your needs, but to show you your deep need for your Savior. The law was meant to curb your behavior. The law was meant to guide you in your life, but the law was never meant to promise you anything, let alone something as big as eternal life. But it's not surprising. It's not surprising that this man has a legalistic view of God because that's in our nature. It's in your nature and it's in my nature to revert back to legalism, to the law, because we love that. We love that legalism because we love to earn things. Earning something makes me feel proud. And I like feeding my pride because my pride makes me feel better about myself. It makes me feel better than, than other people. It allows me to hold things over people's heads because I, I'm not guilty of that. Certainly I am so much better than that. We love to feed our pride. And with each one of these interactions, our pride swells until it's bigger and bigger and bigger. And two things happen when our pride swells in that way. You make false assumptions. Look at this man in this text, this lawyer. He comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, so Jesus is going to entertain this question. Even though there's a contradiction there, he's going to entertain it. He says, What's written in the law? How do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) Did he feel the weight of that statement? Do you feel the weight of that statement? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. If you're sitting in the pew this morning listening to me and worshiping here out of obligation, even just partially out of obligation, 1% obligation. If there's part of you that would rather be home sleeping right now, you're not loving God with all of your heart. You're guilty of breaking that commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your strength. If when you volunteered to do something at church or outside of church and you're doing it in service to Christ, but there's even just a part of you that holds back, you're breaking this commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. If every thought, if every thought that you've had is out of love to Christ, then you are keeping this commandment. But if not, you are breaking it. It's impossible. It's impossible for you to keep this law. It's impossible for me, and it was impossible for this lawyer too. But notice what's going on here. The lawyer says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do this and you will live. And what does the lawyer ask? And who is my neighbor? He completely skips over the first part. He completely skipped over the love God commandment. He didn't ask any questions about that one. He went straight to the neighbor. As if to say, I've already kept it all. I've kept the love your God part. With all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. 
Now what I need to figure out is, who is my neighbor? That's the depth of arrogance and pride in this man. That's the depth of arrogance and pride that comes to us when we make assumptions like that. Don't make assumptions. Examine God's law and examine your heart based on that law and be honest. Because if you don't see your need for a Savior, then you'll never see your Savior. Here's the second thing that happens when your pride swells. You try to justify yourself. And this shows up in many different ways. It, it, it comes from someone knowing or that having an excuse for everything that they do. You see it sometimes in people holding sins over other people's heads to make themselves feel better. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that person, and in that way I try to justify myself. In our text for today, we see this man questioning God's law, and he says, And who is my neighbor? As if to say, well, if my neighbor is someone who looks exactly like me, talks like me, acts like me, and is somebody that I like, then I am justified. I'm doing pretty well. But if my neighbor is somebody that doesn't look like me, doesn't talk like me, doesn't act like me, and maybe is somebody that I don't care to be around, then maybe I might be in trouble. It seems like this man is trying to justify himself on a technicality. On something as small as the definition of a neighbor. Your eternal life does not rest on a technicality. But when you try to justify yourself, then you are are trying to justify yourself on a technicality and it doesn't work like that. God never meant it to be that way. God's, God's law says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. When you feel your need, let your soul rest on a sure thing. God sent his son, Jesus, to the earth to live under the law, to love God and to love his neighbor perfectly for you. That's not a technicality. That's God's mercy. That's a sure thing. God sent his son to earth to to die on a cross for you, to take your punishment. So you wouldn't have to. That's not a technicality. That's God's mercy. It's a sure thing. God has shown you the most mercy. And God's mercy changes you. It, It changes you from a heart that is prideful and legalistic to a heart that shows mercy and and loves. He does that in in baptism like he did for Levi, like he did for all of you. He changes your heart with his mercy. But this lawyer, he he didn't quite understand this yet. So Jesus tells him this story to answer the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus says this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, 
when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It's such a well-known story, but it is surprising every time. Because logically, this story makes no sense. And to understand that, you have to understand a little bit about the characters in the story. And so there was a priest. He was the first man that comes by this dying man on the road. This priest was a religious man of the time. He knew God's law. He offered sacrifices in God's temple. And yet he walked by on the other side of the road. And then a Levite comes by. The Levites were the clan of priests. They had that that superior bloodline of the priests. He knew the law. He was a religious man. And yet he walked by on the other side. And then a Samaritan comes along. Now just to pause for a second here, when when the name Samaritan would even come up in front of a, a Jewish person, they would be filled with disgust. The Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. They, wouldn't, they would travel around Samaria just to avoid them. That's how much they hated them. So this was the last man that you would expect to help. Yet he, he did. What is Jesus trying to get across to this lawyer here? Is he trying to tell him, this is how you live a good life? No. Is he just simply answering the question, and who is my neighbor? No, he's he's not just answering the question. Here's what he's doing. He's trying to shake this man from his spiritual slumber. He's trying to wake him up from his legalism that he's so lost in. And... Show him what true spirituality, true religion is. He's trying to show him this is what it means to be a neighbor and trying to help him to realize that he hasn't been a neighbor. That he hasn't loved God with all of his heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And he hasn't loved his neighbor as himself. Because when this man could realize this, when he could see his need for his Savior then, And only then would he be on his way to true spirituality, true religion, and to believing what the Bible truly teaches. That God is a God of mercy. And we see that mercy that the Samaritan shows to this person in this. Jesus goes on, he says, that the Samaritan bandages this guy's wounds he, he sterilizes his wounds. He puts him on his donkey, which means he probably had to walk the rest of the way too. 
He takes him to an inn where he takes care of him. And the next morning, he gives two denarii to the innkeeper, which is equivalent to about $150 today. And he says, take care of this man. And he also says, don't charge him for any extra expense, but I'll take it. I'll come back and pay for this. This Samaritan was not just doing the bare minimum. He was going above and beyond. What does this tell you about what God expects from you and from me? He expects more than just the bare minimum. He expects us to love him with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our minds. And to show that in how we love our neighbor. That is true spirituality. Pure, undefiled religion. James 1 says this, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We don't have maybe what we would call Samaritans today, the, the actual term, but we have people groups like that. Widows, orphans, the disenfranchised. And sometimes we tend to group people into groups based on our experiences with them, with even just one or two of a people group, and we judge a whole group based on that. We do that, you can see it in, the, in the, a woman who hates all men because only one or, or two men have treated her poorly in her life. Or you can see it in a man who hates all women because he had one woman in his life who, who cheated on him. They write off the whole people group based on one or two experiences, just like the Jews did with the Samaritans. We do this and we take this hatred and this dislike into our relationships with people of other races, of social statuses, of age, of economic status, and the list goes on and on and on. God wants us to take care of people and to love our neighbor. But here's the point of the whole parable, the whole story. When you realize that you haven't done this perfectly, Don't run back to yourself to be justified. Don't run to the law to be justified. Run to Jesus. Jesus wants you to see that big, gaping need in your life because his mercy is big enough to fill it. Because when you know God's mercy, your heart is changed and you will show mercy to others. We see this working out in the lives of believers, and here's a great example of that. A couple of years ago, a book and then movie came out called Unbroken. I'm sure many of you, you saw it. It's a, a true story about a man named Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini was in the, in the military, and he was flying in a plane over the Pacific Ocean when his plane crashed. And he survived the plane crash, but he was stuck on a raft for 47 days with two other guys. On the brink of starvation and almost dead, he's found by, this, uh, Japanese, by the Japanese military. But his misery was far from over there. He spent two years in a Japanese prison camp 
where he was brutally beaten by guards, and none more brutal than this guard that they called the bird. Louis made it out. He survived the prison camp. He survived the war, and he made it back to the United States where he came to know Christ. And he came to know Christ's mercy to him and his forgiveness, and it changed him. So in 1998, Louis was asked to go back over to Japan. They were having the Winter Olympic Games in Japan that year. And he was asked to run a leg of the Olympic torch relay, and he did it. And while he was over in Japan, he sought out these guards who had beat him. He sought out this this guard that was called the bird so that he could forgive him. Now the bird wouldn't even meet with him. He, He refused to meet with him. So you know what Louis did? He sat down and he wrote him a letter and told him how much he had forgiven him and that he forgave him because he knew how much he had been forgiven from Christ. Who does that? Jesus did that. His followers do that. Jesus says, it is enough to be like me. He says, where I am, my servants will follow. So how are you doing? How are you doing with mercy, with showing mercy to others? Whether you've done it well or whether you've done it poorly, make today the start of a life of showing mercy to others because you have been shown the greatest mercy, God's mercy. Amen.